Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. Living in a fallen world and having to deal with our own brokenness, we are always needing spiritual renewal. And that's the theme of the book of Ezra. After 70 years in captivity, it's time for the people of God to return home where the first priority will be the worship of God and the rebuilding of the temple. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ezra. All right, I welcome you back to your seats as we get settled in now for Bible study. In chapter eight of Ezra, we are closing in on the grand finale and a couple more chapters only left to go. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing for tonight. Father, as we make our way through the Old Testament, so many hidden, wonderful truths that have been life-changing Here in the book of Ezra, as they're rebuilding up from the ashes, Lord, with your help, because of the good hand of God upon them, uh, there's success, and there's restoration, and there's a wonderful joy and hope. So we thank you, Father, for doing the same kinds of work in our hearts and lives as we look to you, Lord, tonight. And see, by studying Ezra's life and how he goes about working for you, principles that will make us effective and productive as well. Help us to learn those strategies tonight. Put them into practice, Lord, and be blessed. In Christ's name, amen. So speaking of uh, strategies, there is uh, no shortage of self-help books for leaders and business owners uh, I mean, it's endless, endless, endless supply. I tried Googling for some titles, man, and it's just uh, absolutely uh, infinite. They're designed to provide insight, of course, and wisdom uh, and success. Uh, some best-selling uh, titles currently, Leaders Eat Last, and it says, Why Some Teams Pull Together and Some Don't. Then here's another one, uh, Maxwell's Leadership 101, What Every Leader Needs to Know. And then there's H3 Leadership, uh, the three H's, uh, be humble, stay hungry, and always hustle. Now, (laughs) I like some of these books. Um, I don't have anything against them. Uh, There's a lot of common sense. There's a lot of tried and true principles out there that really do increase productivity and effectiveness for teams and organizations and even churches. But when you boil down anything good, the best advice out there, you'll find at its core, of course, that it's straight up biblical wisdom. Uh, God's word talks all about hard work and diligence and integrity and humility and love and moral accountability and wisdom with finances. All of these things are found in the book, right? You do know that the Greek word for book is biblos, where we get the word Bible. So you're saying always the book. So tonight, in the book, 
of Ezra, the Bible, um, Ezra is um, leading a team and managing quite the project, right? A second wave of refugees, kind of a missions trip, right? Uh, you know, some 80 years earlier, uh, the first maybe 50,000 refugees came um, back to Israel from modern-day Iraq to uh, rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild, and they started with the foundation of the temple, and then the temple got built and all of this. But uh, now it's been about 80 years, and the people of God have kind of got, as I've said, fat and sassy and forgot about God, and now they're not uh, enjoying life anymore. Things are... And they need a booster shot. So this, God raised up Ezra with 1,500 people who have now made their way as of last chapter and have arrived back in the promised land to help kind of um, boost the enthusiasm and to call the people back uh, to what they were doing 80 years earlier. Come on, let's, the, the, Jerusalem's still in rubble. Yes, the temple's up and running. But there are a lot of buildings and roads and infrastructure and the wall. The wall is completely uh, in rubble. Uh, and so that's going to be for Nehemiah. Now, when you study chapter 8 and break it down, you'll, you're going to see this man who the, the Lord is blessing. And so two things tonight to keep in mind while we're going through the scriptures. One is what kind of man, what kind of person does God bless? And what kind of work does his favor rest upon? Because you can look at this guy and look at the way he works, look at the work that they're doing and say, that's what God is drawn to, to bless. And so we want to emulate that. In fact, if I were to give this message a title, I was thinking of the seven habits of highly effective people, which I had to read in seminary, believe it or not, which was interesting, I thought. Uh, but I have done a little work with my thumbs and came up with a working title and changed that title to The Five Habits of Highly Effective Ezra. <laughs> All right? So listen, I went to that tech class for old people, and I found out how to do stuff. <laughs> I, I was only there for five minutes, and I was more interested in the food than anything else. But, um, you know, you can always teach an old dog, new tricks, with the help of the Lord. Amen? Amen. <laughs> All right, thank you for that. I believe it's time to dig in, and we're going to check out these five habits. All right, so let's start here. Ezra chapter 8, verse 1. These are the family heads and those registered with them who came up with me. Now Ezra's talking first person. Remember, I promised that he's going to slip into first person. That's how we know it's him. He says, these are the people, the categories, headed up by the dad or the grandfather, and everyone who came with them from Babylon, modern-day Iraq, during the reign of King Artaxerxes, who was ruling the then-known world, the Persian Empire. Now, here's a list, okay? I do not want to rob you of this joy, as I've said before. <laughs> of going home and going over it with a fine-tooth comb. And you can do that. But let me cut to the chase and say this. Uh, on that list, we'll, we'll cut to, to verse 15, but you can leave those verses up there. Uh, for the very first habit, 
uh, of inspiring lives and impacting others to make them want to uh, follow Christ. Okay, so that's habit number one. There's an inspiring thing about this man because of his relationship with God, his love for the Bible, and his desire to do God's will. And that's contagious. So that's the first point. And you can keep this on the screen because I'm going to talk to you about it. So we have heard that they have arrived as of last chapter, but now he's going to unpack and tell you some of the details. And detail number one is, here's who came along, right? So first things first, uh, chapter seven was all about praising the Lord and telling you, can you believe that God's hand was upon us? God blessed us with a king who not only commissioned our return, allowed, lifted the emigration um, barriers, you know, and let the Jews return. But he, he also introduced legislation to help them and also offered to compensate them to finance the project. And he says, not only that, God was so gracious that the king was commanding me to proselytize in the name of the Lord. The king was saying, now you make sure you teach everybody about the ways of your God and if anybody gives you a hard time, we'll just kill them. <laughs> That's what he said. And so uh, he's just, that was chapter seven. And now they're gonna, now he's breaking it down and showing us. So he says, first, the names. There are 15 fathers and grandfathers listed here. Uh, 1,496, a far cry from the 50,000 who came. Well, commentators say 80 years before, which is Something that's very interesting is that everybody here, they're all related to the 50,000 who those families are the same families, except one, Joab. Everybody else, is they are children of the original pioneers, which every, all the commentators say, say, look at that. Raise up a child in the way they should go. The faith was, the torch was passed to the next generation. And so pioneers and missionaries and pastors, they tend to run in families or Christian lay people. Um, we pass the torch along and that's what you see happening here for sure. And so Ezra has inspired thousands of people to follow. So there's a total of about 5,000 if you count women and kids who are coming along uh, what does it say about Ezra that these people want to uproot their lives from Iraq and make a 900-mile journey the way that they have to take? Uh, what does it say about him? One writer said, anyone who, like Ezra, who walks in the light and lives by the truth and has tasted the living water and wants others to do so too is a person God will use to inspire others for God. So that's what he does. He inspires and it's just the way he lives. Listen, listen, we need to inspire people, not try to inspire them, but by loving God and being filled with his Holy Spirit and the way we live, the way we talk, the way we think, the way we respond when our house burns down, when the spouse wants to take off, when the doctor says, ah, wow, it's a bad, bad, some bad news. We want to inspire them. And he, that's the kind of guy he is. Okay, so we're going to move on. 15 through 20 now. I assembled them, 
All of those people, 1,490, whatever it was, I assembled them at the canal that flows toward Ahava, and we camped there for three days. So they didn't get very far before they stopped by the canal. When I checked among the people and the priests, I found no Levites there. So I summoned Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, El Nathan, Jareeb, El Nathan Jr., Nathan, Zechariah, Meshulam, who were leaders, and Joyarib, and El Nathan II, or third, who were men of learning, and I sent them to Edo, the leader in Kasafia. Kasafia is a city in modern-day Iraq. It's called the uh, Silver City. The city of silver, that's what that word means. I told them what to say to Edo and his kinsmen to get those Levites to come, the temple servants in Casaphia, so that they might bring attendance to us for the house of our God. Because the gracious hand of our God was on us, they brought us Sherebiah, a capable man from the descendants of Mali, son of Levi, the son of Israel, or Jacob, right? And Sherebiah's sons and brothers, men and Hashabiah, together with Jeshiah from the descendants of Merari and his brothers and nephews, 20 men. They also brought 220 of the temple servants, a body that David and the officials had established to assist the Levites. So they were servants to the Levites, and the Levites were servants to the high priests. All were registered by name. All right, so let's talk about this. So habit number one goes about inspiring people to do good things for God, to, to live for God. And secondly, now doing the right thing. That's the second habit. And that's what this is all about, stopping there at the canal now, I wanted to say something about the names, and I took some time to uh, hazard to pronounce them all in front of you, and I only had one minor problem, but we got over it. So the, the, you didn't even notice it, so there. Uh, the names here, as an aside, many sound similar, don't they? There's a lot of ayahs at the end, right? And so in Hebrew, uh, Yahweh, short, Yah, or Jah, right? They don't really have a J, but Elijah, right? So they, they end, they're saying something about God. So when you have Zechariah, Elijah, or Isaiah, it's always something to do with God, the Yah the, at the end, all right? Now you also have Gabriel, uh, Michael, El, uh, Daniel, jo, Joel, Joel, Ariel, uh, Israel, El is another name for God, Elohim. So El, right, so you have words, names that mean uh, God is my strong man, Gabriel, and Michael, who is like the Lord. And I mean, you get a lot out of that, Michael, just so short like that, but who would think a whole sentence is implied by his name? And so I wanted you to see that. I wanted you also to see that the Holy Spirit is telling this story and notice he doesn't skimp over the personal names. 
Uh, they're packed in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's a reason for that because individual lives matter to God, all right? And their efforts matter. And so there are 3,237 names in the Bible of ordinary people. So yeah, it's his story as it's lived through individual lives. It's, listen, it's one thing to say, God so loved the world, I get that. It's a whole nother thing when you have a revelation that God so loved Ross, God so loved Eric, God so loved Jerry, God so loved Dell with one L and fill in the blank. You get that he loves the world, but do you get that he loves you, that he came for you? That's an amazing thing, and I think that's why you, he doesn't skip on the names, because he says he sees you, he knows you, and we're always saying, why are you so far away? Why is my cause disregarded by my God? And we've been down this road before. I just wanted to say this. God is, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. This is why you see the names. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. That's just the way he is. And so we, we move on a little bit here. Um, yeah, names of these individuals appear uh, and now the substance of what's going on. So the expedition is stalled three days out. Uh, they haven't gotten very far. Let me show you uh, a map. All right, this is where they start, okay? They all, their ancestors are all from Israel, but they got exiled by some about 100 years earlier, and they got taken out of the promised land because they were being chastised by God. And God said it'll last 70 years, and so they were, got planted all over here. And so now there's uh, 1,500 of them, and plus the women and children, so we're talking about 5,000 people, and for three days, they make their way, and they stop at a canal, the most precious uh, natural resource they find there, of course, as Xander, my grandson, would say, Awa is water, all right, and so, oh, how did that get in there? Awa. It sounds like he's speaking Spanish. Everybody asks, wow. He says agua. No, it's awa. <laughs> but, and there's little petunias as well. And so, yeah, we need to go back now. I try to tell him not to do that. And... Okay, so they're at a canal. Okay, time to do the laundry, try to... Uh, and uh, collect some water, refresh the camels and all of that. And... Um, Ezra, administrator that he is, is going to uh, dot his I's, cross his T's, and go down his checklist to make sure everybody's on a blue bus or a red bus. And, and, and so, uh, so he's going to find out. He goes, where are the qualified pastors? Where are the Levites? There's no uh, Levins here. Where are the Levins? We can't do anything. We can't move the stuff without the Levins. Because in the word of God, and this is why the heading is called doing it the right way. The law said, only the Levins move the stuff. And so he's like, well, where are they? Where are they? Well, it gets confusing. The priests and the Levites, there's a difference. Now, follow me here. All priests are Levites because they all come from the big picture from Levi. 
right? But you had to be directly related to Aaron to be a lead priest. Everyone else with the last name, same last name, they're all cousins and brothers and uncles, right? But they're not related to Aaron, but they are related to each other. They're the subordinates under the high priest. So you can imagine why they're not there. The priests are there, but we're the guys who do the background work, the associates who serve and come under they're missing, they're MIA. Well, I'll tell you right from the beginning, there's a little bit of jealousy and rivalry always. Do you remember, where is it? In number 16, Korah's rebellion. I've referred to this before. Korah was a Levite like Aaron. But God said, it's gonna be through Aaron and I'm making Aaron the high priest and Korah, you can't be with all your relatives relatives, even though you all have the same last name, I'm sorry, I'm picking Aaron and his children. So Korah comes in and says, who made you the boss of me? And the answer to that is God, right? But they didn't, he didn't like that. He stirred up 250 Levins. Okay, I'm calling them Levin because of the last name. Okay, Levites. He stirred up all the whole clan, all the cousins, all the families, all the, all, all, everybody. And, and it doesn't end well at all for those rebels. Hashtag sinkhole. All right. <laughs> Glad you figured that out. And, and Jude says, you know, 1,500 years later, Jude says there's still those kinds of guys out there that get jealous and go crazy and cause a lot of problems. So where were the associates, the Levites, uh, the, the men willing to serve the lead pastors? Where were they, the subordinate role, uh, who didn't get to direct and oversee, but they got to support, right? Uh, they didn't want to go. We're happy here. We're doing our own thing. If we go there, we have to come under. We don't want to do that. So they're missing. But you know, he doesn't cut corners. He's not going to cut cords. Well, one person said this. I like this. It is the grace of all graces to be able to work behind the scenes, to use your gifts and abilities to achieve a success for which you are not publicly recognized. And that was the deal with these guys. Uh, okay, these Levites, they didn't hear Jesus say, you want to be great? I'll tell you how God measures greatness. The greatest person will be the greatest one serving. The greatest person at serving in heaven's eyes will be considered the greatest of all, like Christ himself. And so that's why Ezra can't find them, and now why they're necessary. And they're necessary because, uh, as I said, they're the only ones who have the, the, the permission to move the holy things, to handle the sacred things. So Ezra could have said, where are they? We don't have time for this. We're already three days into it. You know, we've got our stamps and our visas and all of that. We'll just cut some corners and get some really holy guys to carry this stuff. But he says, no, 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 no. We have to do it the right way. So he's going to, to uh, try to persuade the guys. He's, they're going to go to the city of silver where there is a little Jewish temple 
where they're going to be Levites. And, and here's what he's going to do. He's going to try to persuade the right guys to take their right positions and do the ministry effort the right way. And so he sends, in your text, nine leaders and two distinguished men who have extra wisdom to this dude, Edo, who's a Levite, there in the city of Silver where there's a lot of Levites. And, and you know what I like? He tells them what to say, too. You know, can, can you imagine a guy going in there and everything depends on getting these Levites on board? So, so you send some dude and he goes and he says, hey, you bunch of crybabies, you know, we're the Levites. You know, you leave us high and dry because you don't want to come under. Yeah, no, no, no. That's why he sets a whole bunch of leaders and two men who are, were really had a reputation for being smart. And not only that, then he feeds them the lines. You take care how you communicate in um, intense uh, situations, sensitive situations. Listen, he could have, like I said, just said, hey, you know, we're just going to carry the Ark of the Covenant, as it were, even though we're not talking about that, and put the Ark of the Covenant, move it from Philistine territory, 2 Samuel 6, should ring a bell, and put it on some cows, and have some guy named Uzzah, who's not a Levite, think he can just, oh, I've touched the holy things. And, you know, I'll tell you what the big thing, the big problem in that whole thing was the cows. You don't put the Ark of the Covenant on two cows. That was against the law of God. And so when Uzzah, who's not even a Levite, reaches out and says, hey, everything's cool. God's not looking. He's not paying attention to details about how we do it. It's just as long as we get it to Jerusalem and, and we don't, you know, no. Someone's going to die. <laughs> and Uzzah died. You know, it would be if we make it contemporary. There's no musicians available for the worship team. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to use unbelievers who play in the bars. Why not put them on the platform? And when they get drunk or they live sexually immoral lives and they're on your platform because, you know, hey, it's, we're witnessing to them. You're, see, we can't make up the rules as we go. And Ezra was a guy who just said, can we do it God's way? This is God's work. Can we just, yeah, it's not as convenient as it could be. But why don't we just try to follow the rules? Anybody on a platform ought to be qualified by 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Let's just go down the 15 qualifications. And playing at a bar isn't one of them. I don't know anybody who does that, by the way. So in case you do and think I'm railing against that, I'm not. I just That's something that popped in my head and I wrote it down. Something else popped into my head. Check this out. You want to talk about rules? It's the screenshot of the, uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to get legally ordained to perform weddings? Well, my friend, you just send in this money. We'll look at, we'll send you the credential of ministry. Look, instant ordination. And there you go. And you know, universal life. Well, you know what it says? You have two stipulations. It says, number one, do only what is right. And number two, 
all should be free to worship as they see fit. That's your two doctrines. It's just that you've got to always do the right thing and then let people worship any way they want, anything they want. And yes, you can do marriages, and it's legal. This is what Ezra said, uh, no. No, no, you can't move that, and we're not going anywhere from this canal until we get the right guys for the right job who are rightly qualified by God. That's why he sends all those important people. Thank you for that. Let's move on. I think you get it. Oh, let me say this. There were 38 Levites. They scored 38 Levites, and they scored 220 temple servants. The temple servants were the guys who came under the Levites. See, and that's the way it is in God's economy. He has a chain. This is the president, the vice president, and you could go down all the way. And it's in the home, it's in the church, it's everywhere. It's in your, your office, your company. He has, it's not about worth or value, my friends. Is about functionality. And even Jesus Christ himself was submitted. He was a man who came under. He said, I don't do anything on my own accord. I don't say anything on my own accord. I'm not living for myself. I'm living as unto him, my father. And everything I do, I only do what I see him doing. I'm submitted See, so it's not such a bad thing after all. Now we can go on. So rallying the troops, he's inspiring people. He's number two. The second habit would be doing things right. And the third habit, seeking the Lord. Let's watch this. <clears throat> there by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast. So they got their guys and they're ready to go, but let's <laughs> fast and pray and seek the Lord so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our little children with all of our possessions. <laughs> I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So... <laughs> We were stuck. <laughs> we had a fast and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. This is really uh, a good one here. So um, seeking the Lord, or specifically seeking God's protection. So once the full team has assembled, he proclaims a fast. Now, this is a really nice description of the purpose of fasting to say, uh, in Psalm, Psalm 35, it says, I humbled my soul with a fasting. Now, all that means is that you, inconvenien you inconvenience yourself and give priority to put the need or the request that you have, the issue before God, uh, before your own comfort and before your enjoyment and the need of food. That's why it's called to afflict myself with fasting in the Old Testament is because you're putting yourself through something that, that's uncomfortable for the sake of saying, hey, God, there's something more important than my breakfast, lunch, and dinner right now. And there are, from time to time, 
reasons why we use this additional tool that God gives his people uh, to bring that power and that uh, extra touch of the Lord. And so uh, Christians need to take advantage of fasting. We do, um, uh, you know what's popular is cleanses and detoxes and things like that. Now, I have a lot of doctor friends I just do through the years. I always ask them about that. You know, is there such thing as a liver cleanse? Now, get ready to write my email down because I'm I'm about to tell you the truth and it's a hard truth. There's no such thing as those kinds of cleanses. There's healthy eating, but, you know, they, I always ask them, they always say gimmicks. These are really good doctors, right? Gimmicks. They're just gimmicks. Uh, but we fall for them. Now, there's a way to detox your soul. There's a way to fast and become healthy spiritually. But it's not as popular as a liver cleanse. So, <clears throat> oh, anyway, that said... I will give you my email. It's Pastor Carlin at <laughs> cctherock.detox. <laughs> Hashtag, I should never have said any of that. All right, moving on. So, some moments like a 900-mile journey with little kids and a ton of treasure, a ton of treasure, like when it's coming. You're going to see how much treasure they have. Now, they, they, they faced incredible danger, vulnerable lives, vulnerable possessions. They're carrying the treasure of gold and silver and all kinds of things. And there are true infidels in the Middle East there back in the day. It had a heyday, notorious people ambushing caravans, plundering possessions, and wreaking havoc on the travelers. Now, so here, here's what he says. By the way... We were in a particularly interesting situation because we had, and we really needed God to come through for us because we were in a really, we had no other options. And, and, and normally you would hire military or police, armed guards to go with you with the little kids and all of that money. But here's what he said. We couldn't do that because I was embarrassed because I had witnessed to the king. I had already given him the gospel. And I happened to say, I did say, oh, God will protect us. I was talking to the king. And I was telling the king, hey, God looks out for people who have a heart for him. And, 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 and those bad things really can happen to people who are against God. He's against those who are against him. So king, don't worry. Turn to that God, because he'll take care of you. So he said, after I'm done witnessing to the guy, I realized, whoops, I need his protection because God will use him to protect us. But no, I was too embarrassed to go back to him and say, I know God will protect us and all, but, you know, would you mind sending a few guys along with us, you know? So he said, I I just couldn't do that, you know? It would be like, you know, witnessing to your unbelieving dad, college kid. You know, oh, the Lord, will, uh, he provides for all Christian needs, Dad. He takes care of us, okay? And then it's time <clears throat> to pay your tuition. And Dad makes a lot of money. But he's an unbeliever, and you just shared the gospel with him. You said, hey, God, will take care of my every need. 
Now you're going to ask your dad to write a check? You know what he's going to think? Oh, where's your God? You need my money, right? So you would be too ashamed, too embarrassed to do that, right? This is the idea here. Now, very interesting. It takes real discernment because it wasn't a lack of faith and it isn't a lack of faith when we do expect God to use human agency like Nehemiah. The king says, hey, you're going to need some military. And he goes, yes, sir. Yeah, so Nehemiah will come and he'll get a military escort and he wants that. And Paul the apostle, when he's moved because there are 40 would-be assassins who are not eating or drinking until they kill him. They're waiting for him to be sprung out of jail and he gets, I don't know, I wrote it down, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, and he's delighted. <laughs> he's delighted. He's so happy, right? Because he's trusting God through the human agency that God is working through. So when do you know when you refrain from that or when you just trust God through that. Some people told me I had a 30% chance of beating my cancer after I failed chemotherapy and radiation, failed it. And some people said, time to detox. I don't do any of that chemotherapy or bone marrow transplant. And I decided to have a bone marrow transplant. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt if I hadn't done the bone marrow transplant, I would not be here. Because it wasn't the bone marrow transplant that saved me. It was God who used the bone marrow transplant that he has given to this world to come to the rescue of people who are sick and dying. And so he gives us doctors, he gives us lawyers, he gives us policemen. Now, I, I, I have this last thing here and then we'll move on. If you want to face the home intrusion without the police officer, the heart attack without 911, or the lawsuit without a lawyer, and just trust God, you can and should if that's what God is putting on your heart. But remember, others also trust God by picking up the phone and dialing 911, trusting God to work through human agency to save the day. Amen? Amen? Let's continue on. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests together with Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their brothers. And I weighed out to them the offering of silver and gold and the articles that the king, his advisors, the king gave, his advisors gave, and his officials gave, and all Israel gave. So there was a lot of donations for the house of the Lord, the temple. I weighed out to them. I'll just go with the conversion, okay? I weighed out to, to them 24 tons of silver. Silver articles weighing 7,500 pounds. A hundred, uh, I'm sorry, 7,500 pounds of gold. 20 bulls of gold valued at 100 gold coins and two fine articles of polished bronze as precious as gold, and I added the conversion, real purdy. 
Verse 28. I said to them, you, you, as well as these articles, are consecrated to the Lord. I can't wait to talk about that one. The silver and gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them carefully until you wave them out in the chambers of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem before the leading priests and the Levites and the family heads of Israel. Then the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the sacred articles that had been weighed out to be taken to the house of our God in Jerusalem. All right, so number one, habit. He's inspiring people to serve the Lord. Number two, he's doing it the right way. Number three, he's seeking the Lord. And number four, he's being a good steward with the finances. He's being a good steward. So let's talk about this. Ezra is establishing structures now, isn't he, of authority and accountability. And unless you do the same, your life isn't going to be blessed. Now, there are 24 priests. There are 12 priests and 12 Levites, the elders he puts in charge. That's a biblical thing. Uh, when there are ministries involved, God always puts the elders in charge of the financial affairs of any organization that he has to do with. So he says, here's the count. And, and, and notice how meticulous it is. He measures it all out. And here's what he's saying. Here's what we're starting with. Every last thing is measured and weighed and counted. Down to two little silver articles that are real purdy. He just says they're two, they're like bronze things, they're like gold, they're really precious. Oh, we're gonna count those. We're gonna count everything. And all the way there, and then as soon as we get there, guess what, guys? We're gonna take out the Excel spreadsheet and we're gonna weigh everything again and line it all up and make sure nobody got sticky fingers along the way. Because this is important. Right? This is really important stuff. So I love verse 28. He says, number one, you and the stuff belong to God. It's not just, hey, take care of the stuff. It belongs to God. You take care of you because you belong to God. And how you deal with this money, that's a stewardship. It's a stewardship. The valuables and you, the valuables, belong to him. Warren Wiersbe pointed out, he said, this whole little paragraph is a nice little parable that reminds us that that's what our life is about. In Matthew 25, there's this certain man, Jesus tells a story, there's this guy, he says, who is going to be coronated as king, so he has to go off to Rome to get the crown, and then he'll come back. So he says, in this story, he says, before he leaves, he grabs a few of his servants, and he says to one, he says, here's $500 invest, according to their ability. And to another one, he says, here's $200, let's call it, invest. And to another, he gave $100, and he said, invest. And he says, when I come back, we'll check in and see how you did. And so then he comes back after a long time, right? And he calls them in. And he says, hey, you with the $500, how did you do? And he goes, it made 
we made $500 more. And he goes, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the guy who did less, but was given less to start with, but made the same proportion given what he had. So he said, your 200 made 200 more. Do you see 500 made 500? Well done, 200 made 200. A lot less wow, but he says, well done, good and faithful servant, because he's judged against what he's been given. You're given what I'm given. Two different ballgames. And then he calls in the guy with the $100, and he goes, you know, here's your $100 back. You know, I knew you were kind of uptight kind of guy. You're kind of harsh. I was so afraid. I was like deer in the headlights. You know how you are, you know? And so I just hit it. I just hit it. I, here it is. You can have it back. And he goes, really? He goes, you wicked servant. I gave you, let's broaden it out to its true meaning. I gave you life. I gave you life in a conscience, and you knew that your life was a gift from God, and you embezzled it, and you spent a human life on yourself in all these ungodly ways, and you hoarded it all, and then you come back and say, here's your life. You got me, here I am, basically a good guy. And he says, depart from me, right? Our lives are stewardship concerns. We don't own us. We don't make us. We don't birth ourselves. We don't decide to even be here. We're on loan from God. And he says, you can't embezzle. You, you've got to spend your life investing in the things of the Lord. Let's finish up. That includes money and kids and our Christian witness and all of these things that need to be stewarded. Okay, time to finish up and put this chapter to bed. On the 12th day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. All right. The hand of our God was on us, and he protected us from the enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. Wow. On the fourth day in the house of our God at church, we weighed out the silver and the gold and the sacred articles into the hands of Merimoth, son of Uriah, the priest. Eleazar, son of Phinehas, was with him. And so were the Levites, Josabad, son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, son of Binuai. Everything was accounted for, hmm, multiple people, multiple accountability by number and weight, and the entire weight was recorded at that time. Then the exiles who had returned from captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 67 male lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's orders to the royal satraps, and they're like governors and officials, mayors, and to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, everything across the Euphra uh, west of the Euphrates toward Jordan and Israel and Syria and a little bit of Saudi Arabia, who then gave assistance to the people in the house of the temple. All right, so who's got the four, the, the four habits so far? Number one, he inspired inspires people to 
serve the Lord. What's number two? Doing the right thing. What's number three? Seeking the Lord. And number four, being a good steward. And guess what number five would be, given what I just read? Worshiping the Lord. Worshiping the Lord. So as Siri would say, arrived. All right. So they're, they're in Jerusalem now after, um, what is it? It's exactly four months, minus one day kind of thing. So God kept his word. He wants you to know we were safe from all the ambushes. And Ezra kept his word as well. And they're measuring and counting and pulling out of everybody's pockets and receipts and all of that. Uh, Nice little eyewitness thing. It says everybody slept for three days. Well, of course. Listen, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to do nothing. Unless, of course, you have a struggle with doing something and you're always doing nothing, then the most spiritual thing you could do is do something. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't try to write that one down. Now, um, yes, one thing is required of a steward that they be found faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2. Listen, this is a big deal. Your finances are going to matter on that day. They're going to matter. They really are. You know, I mean, how much do we spend on Starbucks and how much did we give? How much did we spend on, on me, myself, and I and how much toward the work of the Lord? All through my life. I shudder to think about that because when I was younger, I was just like, whatever, whatever's left over, you know. It took me a long time to figure out from the top, from the top, or you'll never do it. Just from the top. And then, you, you know, it's there. Because guess what? It's the first thing you do. And if it's the first thing you do, well, anyway, what I'm talking about is just this stewardship. And now he's going to worship uh, the Lord in the congregation. So He's entrusted the money to faithful men and all of them are going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because everything is, um, is coming out balanced. And so what you see here is you see multiple eyes, multiple accountings, you know, uh, our tithe boxes. They have two locks and two keys. So not one person can open a tithe box. You have to have two people, right? And there are two counters, not one, two counters. And there are five pairs of eyes that oversee things. So we have five pairs of eyes and two here and two there and two locks and all of that. That's what you see here. You see this guy and this guy and another guy and then it went to this guy and then it's important, these kinds of things. So now with the Excel spreadsheet balanced, it's time uh, to worship the Lord. And so you bring, you see the sacrificing of animals. Two purposes when you see all the animals being sacrificed. Number one is spiritual. Number two is practical. Spiritual. To provide atonement and covering for sins. Sins were confessed, as you, most of you know, onto the innocent And the innocent one pays the price as you confess. The wages of your sin goes on that animal and you are cleared based on the death of the sin bearer. All right? And of course, 
all offerings are pointing to not the lambs, but the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus. And so it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take care of your sins. And so it was always pointing to Jesus. And we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So the application here is the blessing of the people of God doing ministry uh, there in Jerusalem. God's favor rests on them. Now the practical thing is the meat from all of these sacrifices formed a fellowship, a table offering. In other words, it provided the meat for a barbecue to where you had table fellowship. So in other words, they were saying everything's okay now between us and God and, uh, and between one another. And so we could sit down and enjoy in the presence of God. This is Old Testament communion. The bread, the cup, the sacrifice, eating it, it's like the New Testament, the Lord's Supper. And so that's, people forget that it's not like God wanted this sacrifice. It's a symbol of losing your sins and having someone else pay for them. And then the peace that comes from that, we sit down and have fellowship with God at the table over the lamb chops. That's exactly what they did. That was all food for the celebration of the worship service called the love feast, the agape feast uh, in the New Testament. And so that's the practical part of it. What my takeaway was, if you want to be blessed, you're in the middle of all of that ministry. He's really saying, in the middle of church is worshiping God. And here's what happened there. They'd hear the word of God taught. They would pray. They would sing and, and worship, just like we do. And because they were doing that, that's how they grew. That's how they stayed the straight and narrow path. If you don't have a church... If you don't consider church an important thing, you can't be blessed. You can't make it up the, your own way. One last thing. I was just riding an exercise bike in the gym next to a guy. And, and the guy was started a conversation with me. So, there. <laughs> and I kept deferring to him. I kept saying, I'm not going to pursue him. I'm going to let him keep pursuing me. And if you're going to keep pursuing me, then you're going to get it sooner or later. <laughs> so yes, long story short, he knows where the church is. He knows this. He knows this. And I said, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. And, and he was saying, oh, people and their stuff, people and their stuff. And I said, last week, I just talked about the rich young ruler. And he goes, is that the one with the eye through the needle? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're a Christian. And he goes, oh, kind of. Well, I'm a Christian. Yes. Well, I don't go to church. Right, see, because I make up my own rules about it, right? But he knows the scriptures, and I think he's born again. But he's making up his own way. I don't need all of that. I know I should be. I said, what about the gift that God gave you and the fellowship that you belong, which is weakened because you're not doing your part? Did you ever stop and think about, not are you okay, but is the church of Christ okay? Is the congregation okay where you were supposed to be, where you were supposed to be giving, where you were supposed to be serving? How about us? I said, well, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, I know. (laughs) 
the way, the right way to do life is the best way to do life is to be with God's people celebrating like that, sitting down, having Lord's Supper, hearing the word and all of that. And that is the way, my friend, when you are inspiring people, when you are, what's the second one? When things are done the right way, when you're a good steward, when God is sought and when God is worshiped together in the congregation, that, my friend, those five things, they're highly, they're habits that are highly effective. <laughs> and they will make you highly blessed. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Father God, now as we get through this chapter and we see these principles help us to embrace them, the truth that you spoke to each one of our hearts, Lord, just the way that you have a way of just balancing out what the pastor says, helping us to eat the meat and spit out the bones kind of thing, Lord, and take this truth and personalize it for our own lives. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.